The Lord, our Redeemer, be with you. And also with you. This is Holy Week, and normally in our churches we have services day by day, but we're still living in lockdown, so our services this Holy Week are coming from the Sea House Chapel here in Kilmore. You're very welcome, and I do pray that you will join in these services on a daily basis and be blessed by them. God of our days and years, we set this time aside for you. Form in us the likeness of Christ as we walk with him in the shadow of death on the way to the cross. We might be blessed and raised to new life with him. Amen. A reading from St. Mark's Gospel, read by Sally Siggins. A reading from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, verses 1 to 2 and 10 to 11. The plot. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Open our eyes, Lord, and our minds that we might see and understand wonderful things from your word through Christ our Lord. Amen. From the opening pages of Mark's Gospel, the shadow of the cross, the shadow of death, broods over the entire story of Jesus. We can see that in the opening chapter, chapter 1, in Jesus' confrontation with Satan in the wilderness. Then in the next chapter, the shadow lengthens with the skepticism of the scribes and the Pharisees. The shadow deepens as the religious and political leaders conspire to eliminate Jesus in chapter 3 and verse 6, for example. And here, in Mark chapter 14, the shadow darkens in the plot to kill Jesus. Mark outlines the details of the plot in verses 1 and 2, and then in verses 10 and 11. In Mark's telling of the story of Jesus, he often uses a literary sandwich in which two pieces you think it of as the bread, hold together a filling. And so therefore in this chapter, verses 1 and 2 are one slice of bread, and then verses 10 and 11 are the bottom slice of bread, and the filling is in the middle, which deals with the anointing of Jesus by an unnamed woman, in which we think about tomorrow evening. But for now, we want to look at the details of the plot. And like good detectives, we want to ask 
a number of pertinent questions. When was this plot hatched? It's timing. Who was involved in the plot? What was driving them? What was their motive? And how it took place? What happened? So let's interrogate this text in Mark and chapter 14 together to ask and seek answers from these vital questions. First, in verses 1 and 2, we uncover the timing of the plot. It happened, Mark tells us, two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. You'll see that in verse 1. Jesus, like countless faithful Jews, was in Jerusalem on pilgrimage to attend the Passover festival and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which lasted for over a week. The Passover feast, you will remember, celebrates their liberation from slavery in Egypt many centuries before. The Passover feast is held to this very day by faithful Jews. And the plot to arrest and to kill Jesus was hatched on the cusp of this most significant religious festival in the Jewish calendar. Planning to kill someone doesn't sit easily with religious devotion, does it? Or does it not? Secondly, who was involved in the plot to kill Jesus? In verse 2, we read the chief priests and the scribes, the top men, as we would say, in the Jewish religious establishment. Can you imagine for a moment a Protestant Archbishop of Armagh, the Catholic Archbishop of Dublin, uh, the President of the Methodist Church in Ireland and the moderator of the Presbyterian Church in Ireland coming together to conspire to arrest and then kill someone? It's unthinkable, isn't it? But that's what happened in first century Jerusalem. The religious elite wanted Jesus dead. Why? What was their motive? The answer to this third question again is in the text. Was it because Jesus had turned the tables over and caused a commotion in the temple? Was it because Jesus confounded all their questions and exposed their hypocrisy? Was it because of Jesus' popularity? He had people hanging on his very words. Crowds followed him all over the place, including Jerusalem. Was it because the religious leaders feared that there would be an eruption, an explosion of violence uh, that would bring their over Roman overlords down upon Jerusalem and destroy everything? Was it because they felt threatened? They were okay in the status quo and Jesus was going to disturb that. These are possible motives for the plot to kill Jesus. But for Mark, the overriding reason why these religious leaders plotted to kill Jesus 
was because of human wickedness. Exemplified by the religious elite in verse 1 and 2 and in the treachery of Judas Iscariot in verses 10 and 11. When all is said and done, Jesus died because of the wickedness of the human heart. And indeed, Jesus had pinpointed that earlier on in Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 7, and in verse 23, we read these words as Jesus said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, evil, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Lastly, what took place in this plot? In verse 2, we detect a hesitancy in the religious establishment in unleashing their plot. For they said, it's not the right time to do this. During the festival, there might be a riot after all. Stealth was the key. They were going to wait their moment. And that moment came sooner than expected when Judas triggered the plot in verses 11, 10 and 11. Who was Judas? Judas Iscariot was one of the 12 chosen disciples by Jesus, an insider who betrayed his master from within, which magnifies his culpability, doesn't it? Why did he do such a treacherous thing? That question has been the subject of endless speculation. Other gospel writers like Matthew and John suggested greed as a motive. Luke and John also suggest satanic inspiration drove Judas. Modern scholars think that Judas was a member of an extreme Jewish sect and he wanted to trigger an uprising, political ferment. And sadly, Jesus was the fall guy in his plan. Mark does not say why Judas betrayed Jesus. For Mark being one of the twelve, one of the insiders is key and it was part of God's purpose and plan for Christ to die for the sins of the world. And it flowed out that a friend of Jesus triggered the plot. Judas went to Jesus' enemies, the religious elite, and when they met him, they were glad. They welcomed the news that he brought and they offered him grubby money. 
And Jesus too, like the religious elite, bided his time for his moment. Well, what can we draw from this sorry episode of the plot to kill Jesus? Does it shock you that religious people could do such a thing? Does it surprise you that a friend could betray a close friend? No. History is replete with examples of deeply religious people and religious leaders doing awful things. And friends betraying family members, betraying their own. It happens all the time. But who was it that the chief priests sought to eliminate and who Judas betrayed? Mark is clear. Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, Son of Man, Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah, the Expected One, God incarnate, God in our shoes. It's extraordinary that these people sought to eliminate and kill God. But it happened as Mark records it. The wickedness of people, however religious, however, however devoted a friend. What an ugly picture. What a pertinent portrait of all humanity. We are capable of anything. And this portrait is a mirror image of you and of me. Amen. We sing the hymn 231, My Song is Love Unknown.
Now let us pray. We praise you, Lord Jesus Christ, for you are our champion. And for our sake, you exposed and overcame the wickedness of men by your passion and your death. Give us hope and victory in the face of evil. Amen. May Christ, who strengthens us in the face of wickedness and evil, keep us true and pure, and to live no longer for ourselves, but for him who suffered and died for us.